Well, good morning, Hawaii Kai Church. <clears throat> Pastor Dan is uh, still under the weather, um, so please keep him and his family in your prayers as they continue to rest and recuperate and heal. Uh, God willing, uh, Dan will be back with us next week uh, to continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but for today, our passage of study will be coming from the book of Matthew. Uh, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Uh, we'll be studying Matthew 18, uh, 1 through 4 this week, uh, which can be found on page 823 in the Bibles that are under your seats. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, is our passage of study this morning. Follow along with me as I read. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Before we begin today's lesson, would you please join me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, you are indeed strong and kind. And we come to you this morning to ask that you would help us, that you would help us to understand your word, and that, God, you would not only open your word up to us, but that you would use it, Lord, to nourish us, to encourage us, to help us, and to grow us. I pray, Father, that you would do this by your spirit, that through your word, you would continue the process of bringing those who are not believers to faith. And for those of us who are, Lord, that you would continue to grow us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you again. We praise you for who you are. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were to go back and review uh, the messages from the past few weeks, or actually, if you were to go back and review messages that come from this pulpit every single week, you would quickly see that what is preached from this pulpit are messages that are completely different from the words that you would hear uh, promoted and taught by the world. For example, over the past few weeks, you've heard messages about considering others as more important than yourselves. Messages about loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, giving to those who take from us. Messages about forgiving and giving generously even to those who don't deserve it. And messages that tell us that you are blessed when we are poor and hungry, weeping and hated. And woe to you when you are full and laughing and spoken well of. You see, week in and week out, God's word challenges you and me to live differently from the world. Because as a Christian, you are no longer of this world. As a Christian, you are different because you have been changed. Your citizenship is no longer just in the United States of America. It is in heaven, according to Philippians 3.20. You are no longer just a member of your biological family. You are now adopted into the family of God, Romans 8.15 and 23. Although you may be 57 years old, you have been born again. And you are a new creation in Christ, John 3 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. The Bible is clear that as a Christian, you are different from the world. And if you are going to understand what Jesus is teaching us this morning, you must be willing to acknowledge that you are different. 
because you are, and because you are different, you must be willing to set aside the world's definition of greatness. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to redefine the term greatness. You know, when God considers greatness, the amount of money that you make, that doesn't matter to him. Your job title, the letters that follow your name, those don't impress him. Neither does your skill on the playing field, your ability to sing in perfect pitch, the grandeur of your house, the type of car you drive, uh, your ability uh, to do any kind of thing, your, your body fat content, the tone and strength of your muscles and the smoothness of your skin, your IQ. None of this impresses God. In fact, in God's eyes, according to the Bible, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is someone who has become like a child a toddler. When you think of greatness or people in our society with whom we use superlative terms, do you immediately think of a toddler? Probably not. We're so prone to judge people by their outward achievements, by their stature in society, by the power they wield, either through their riches, their authority, their eloquence, their intelligence, their talent, or their skill. That's how we normally judge greatness, don't we? But according to Jesus, our understanding of greatness is probably warped. And so we're no different from the disciples of 2,000 years ago. Look again at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, in the other gospels, in Luke and in Mark, we're told that the disciples were actually arguing about which one of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine that? You know, it always strikes me how real the Bible is in portraying the people within its pages. These disciples, these great pillars of faith were in fact just mere humans. They were people just like you and me. They had the same desires, fears, wants, needs, struggles, flaws, weaknesses, just like you and me. And when you think about it, that's really very encouraging, isn't it? It's encouraging because Jesus chooses and uses ordinary people, warts, weaknesses, flaws, and all, but he doesn't just leave us that way. He changes us. He regenerates us. He sanctifies us to become useful, and yes, even to become great in his kingdom. But that's not how we start off, isn't it? Even after we've been Christians for a while, even those who were in direct contact with the Savior of the world could still be so utterly human. And so in this opening verse, we have the disciples doing exactly what we humans are so good at doing, comparing, competing, coveting one another's position, and in so doing, judging one another. Basically, the disciples were doing the exact opposite of what Josh Gumbert taught us from the book of Philippians last week, which says to consider others as more important than ourselves and to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But here in our opening verses, the disciples were revealing their sinful humanity by arguing amongst themselves on who was the greatest. And that's when Jesus steps in and he tells them, brothers, you have got this all wrong. Greatness does not come by what you have done, your position amongst your peers, who you know, your status compared to other people. Greatness in God's kingdom has nothing to do with any of these things. Rather, true greatness in the kingdom of God 
is measured to the degree by which you have become like a little child, a toddler. And Jesus begins to teach them by using a real life example. Look at verse 2. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in a very gentle, loving way, strongly rebukes his disciples by telling them that self-seeking ambition has no place in his kingdom. In fact, if you have that kind of attitude, self-reliant pride, elevating yourself above others based on your accomplishments, thinking more highly of yourselves than you ought, then not only will you not be great in the kingdom of heaven, you won't even get through the front door. You will never enter the kingdom, Jesus says. Jesus is saying that unless we realize that we are all like little children, helpless, alone, and lost, separated from our Heavenly Father, we will never cry out to Him to be saved. And it is critical for us to understand this, for as we share the gospel with other people, we must clearly see them as they truly are, lost, helpless little children. When you envision your unbelieving boss or the CEO of your company, do you see a lost, helpless child? When you watch a beautiful singer or a, or a handsome movie star on the world stage, do you see a tiny child or listen to a powerful world leader or cheer for an overpaid but highly skilled sports figure? Do you see a lost, helpless child? If not, you are not seeing them through Jesus' eyes. You are not seeing them correctly in the light of the kingdom of God. Are we overly impressed with a person's riches, their fame, their popularity, their beauty, their skill, their strength, to the point where we have lost sight of how God sees them as lost, helpless children? You know, in order to be effective, in order to be truthful in our evangelism, we have to see people as they truly are. You see, the Bible is very, very clear that we are all sinners. There is no one righteous, not one, says Romans 3.10. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. That's in Ecclesiastes 7.20. No matter how good or how great a person may appear, no matter how good a friend may be to you, without Christ that person is still doomed. We are doomed because we have sinned, not just against each other, but against a holy, righteous, just God. And our sin must be justly punished. If God did not punish sin, then God would not be just. He cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He will not wink at sin, and he will not simply overlook it. A holy, just Righteous God must punish sin. And so it says in Romans 6, 23, the wages or the penalty of our sin is death. Because of our sin, all of us, everybody out there is walking under a death sentence, the death penalty. But that is why God sent his son, his own son, to die 
God, in his great love for us, his lost children, sent his only begotten son to die in our place, to pay the death penalty for us. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is only through Jesus' sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross, him dying in our place to pay for our sins, that you or I or anyone else for that matter can be forgiven and saved. He is the only way. Buddha will not save you. Mohammed cannot save you. Krishna will not save you. Satan most certainly cannot save you. In fact, in John 14, 6, Jesus states, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus saying that. Now, perhaps some of you may be having a hard time hearing that right now. Why? Because it sounds so exclusionary so narrow-minded, so outdated, so childish. Our world, world tells us to be more sophisticated, modern, and mature in our thinking. In a better world, a more tolerant world, people ought to be more accepting of others and not so judgmental. Well, let me assure you that I am not trying to be judgmental at all. I am simply saying what the Bible teaches, what Jesus himself said. No one comes to the Father but through me. Is that hard to hear? Well, probably not for most of you sitting here in this church, but I can guarantee you that these words are a very difficult pill to swallow for most people outside of these walls this morning. But here's the deal. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach us in Matthew 18. Unless you turn and become like a humble trusting child, a child who trusts his father, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're a parent, you know this. Your toddler will believe what you say because they believe in you. They trust and believe that you are there for them to protect them, to teach them, and to take care of them. And because you've done this from the day that they've been born, they now know you. You have earned their trust. But this isn't always the case with God, is it? Jesus knows that we humans have a hard time understanding, let alone believing his word. But the expectation of our Lord is that we trust and believe even when we don't understand because where else can we go? The Bible tells us, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now I want to take a short segue to John's gospel, where we see a perfect example of this. When Jesus was giving a difficult teaching to his followers regarding the fact that he was the bread of life, he was saying a lot of difficult things, things that were hard to understand. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. These were very, very difficult words to take in and understand, don't you think? Eating Jesus' own flesh, drinking his blood, what are we, cannibals? Well, today, we understand quite clearly the symbolism of Jesus as the bread of life. 
and the importance this symbol has in our celebration of the Lord's Supper. But back then, this was a very difficult concept to understand, let alone believe in. And so what is the response of some of Jesus' followers? In John 6, verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Can you imagine that? Jesus' own followers hearing the very words of the Son of God flowing from his own mouth and then not believing him and instead turning away. Why was that? Well, it's because his words were hard to understand and they didn't make sense. But then Jesus turns to the 12 and he asks them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, do you think Peter and the other 11 apostles understood what Jesus was talking about? Now, at that point in their lives, probably not. I highly doubt it. But they believed nonetheless. Why? Because they knew they had nowhere else to go. Although they may not have understood everything Jesus was saying to them, they understood one thing very clearly. Jesus alone had the keys to eternal life. And like children, they believed in him, they trusted in him, and they put their faith in him. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do as well. We need to trust and depend on God even when we don't understand. Little children very rarely know or understand what their parents are doing and why they are doing it. Likewise, we will not understand what God is always doing. But like a little child, we can trust that our Heavenly Father is good and that He will take care of us and do what He knows is best for us. Now, please keep in mind that Jesus was not calling his disciples to a blind faith. Keep in mind that Jesus had already been showing his disciples over and over again the power of God through miraculous healings, through his power over demons, over the natural world, and even over death. And ultimately, Jesus would prove to them and to us his deity by overcoming death, by rising three days after his crucifixion. And so Jesus is telling a fearful, despairing, lost world that no matter how powerful, how great a person you may think you are, you are still a little lost child separated from your heavenly Father. And in order for you to come home, you must become like a child with childlike faith, childlike trust, and childlike dependence you must believe and come home to your heavenly Father. But Jesus doesn't just stop at telling the disciples how to enter into his kingdom. He goes on to tell them how to be truly great in his kingdom. Look at verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Whoever humbles themselves like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus is calling his children to live their lives with an attitude of trustful humility like that of a small child 
with his parents. You know, a small child does not have inherent strength. They aren't very bright. They can't take care of themselves. And if left alone, they will most assuredly perish. Little children are utterly helpless. And the only thing that they can really do is to trust and depend upon their mommy and daddy. That's the nature of a small child. And this is what Jesus is calling his followers to become. But how can this humble dependence like a tiny child translate into greatness? Well, imagine this. Imagine a little preschooler named Johnny playing in the playground and a bunch of other little tykes start causing trouble, taking Johnny's toys and putting dirt all in his face. Now at this point, Johnny could choose to fight back. And because Johnny is actually a tough little guy, he soon prevails over his tormentors and soon Johnny becomes the greatest on the playground. But then, some other bigger kids come around and they now want to challenge the greatest and soon Johnny is getting put dirt all over his face again. Now imagine this. What if when the mean kid started putting dirt on Johnny's face, rather than fighting the bullies, rather than trying to set himself up as the greatest, Johnny instead simply walked over to his dad, who happened to be on the playground, put up his arms, and was lifted high up into the strong arms of his father. What would the other wee little bullies do then? That's right. They wouldn't do anything. As long as Johnny is in his father's arms, he is the greatest on the playground. Not because he's the greatest wee little thing out there, but because his dad is with him. Now that might be a silly little story, but the point I'm making is that when we refuse to try to become great in and of ourselves, but instead go to God in humble dependence like a child, that is when God enters the picture. And that's when true greatness comes into view because God is now there. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so Jesus is telling us that true greatness comes when we humble ourselves before God like a child because God is the one who will lift us up. But he will do so in due time. It might not be right now. It might not be in the timing we want, but he will lift us up in due time, in his time. And we, like children, must clothe ourselves with humility under God's mighty hand and trust that he will take care of us and he will do what is best for us. That's what a child does and that's what a father does. How often do we struggle through life unnecessarily because we choose to trust in our own abilities, our own wisdom, our own resources, our own greatness, and we fail to go to God in humble dependence and simply trust Him at His word. Unfortunately, I still do this all too often, but I'm learning. God is showing me through trials and struggles and pain that I need to be trusting Him more, depending on Him more, humbling myself before Him like a child. 
And it's not always fun, but it's worth it. And I thank God for it. Now, it's also important to keep in mind that when Jesus is talking about humbling ourselves like, a ch- like children, he's not telling us to become childish or fearful or to live as though we can't do anything. Sinclair Ferguson sheds some light on this when he says, humility is not simply feeling small and useless like an inferiority complex. It is sensing how great and glorious God is and seeing myself in that light. Nor does humbling ourselves like children mean that we turn off our brains and blindly follow whoever or whatever someone may be telling us. R.C. Sproul put it this way when he said, there is a vast difference between childlike faith and childish faith. Childlike faith calls the believer to remain forever in a state of awe and trust of their heavenly father, while a childish faith box at learning the things of God in depth. It refuses the meat of the gospel while clinging to a diet of milk. In other words, though we are called to a childlike faith, Jesus is not telling us to live with childish thinking, never maturing, never growing, never increasing in knowledge and wisdom, and to forever be childishly fearful, immature, or weak. In fact, he is calling us to the exact opposite. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must live a life of humble dependency upon God that obeys and follows your heavenly Father even when it's hard, even when it's painful, and even when we don't completely understand. That's what a child does when he trusts his father. I remember once when Katie, my second daughter, was about three, She was eating something on a spoon, probably peanut butter, and then she was running around playing, and of course, you know what happened. She fell, and she got a big cut in her mouth. So kids, don't ever run with spoons in your mouth. I looked at it, and I knew, well, this is not going to heal by itself. It was a big cut. And so I had to take her to the hospital, and the doctors were trying to stitch her up inside of her mouth. But Katie was in a lot of pain, and she was young, and she was scared, and so she's moving all over the place, and she wouldn't keep her mouth open. And so the doctor looks over to me and says, Dad, you have to hold her down and make her open her mouth. And I was like, wait, what? I I thought that's your job. (laughs) And so I go over to Katie, and I put my body over hers, and I gently but firmly hold her down on that table. And then I looked into her scared little eyes, and I said, Katie, you have to open your mouth, honey. And I can still remember these big, tear-filled eyes looking directly into mine, and she opened her mouth. To be honest, I was kind of (laughs) shocked. But she opened her mouth, and she never looked away from my eyes. Every time it got too sore and she tried to close her mouth, I would say, Katie, open your mouth. And every time she opened her mouth, she wouldn't trust the doctors. She didn't like what was going on. She was in a lot of pain, but she trusted her dad. And because of that, her mouth could be healed. You know, this kind of humble, dependent trust in our Heavenly Father is what characterizes a childlike faith. 
Even when it's painful, even when we're scared and we don't understand what's going on, we submit to his will and we obey his word. Brothers and sisters, that's what's called kingdom greatness. And it makes sense, doesn't it? For this is the same childlike faith that was modeled, modeled for us by the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus himself, who while in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleaded with his father twice to remove the cup of wrath he was about to drink. But each time his father's answer was no. And so Jesus, with the humble, trusting faith of a child, submitted himself to the father's will. Jesus understood the pain, the suffering, the humiliation that awaited him at the cross. Nonetheless, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, what makes this even more mind-boggling and amazing is that at any time, Jesus had the power to stop this horrific process. And Jesus said, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and that he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's 72,000 angels. In 2 Kings 19, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. And so what Jesus is saying here is that this is my choice. This is my choice to submit and obey to the will of my Father so that the scriptures can be fulfilled and so that you and I can be saved. That's what you call a humble dependence enabled by overwhelming strength. And because Jesus did this, Paul tells us in Philippians, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our model of greatness in the kingdom of heaven because Jesus Christ is the model of a humble, dependent, trusting child. So Hawaii Kai Church family, after hearing the word of God today, how are you going to respond? I have two questions for us to think about as we close. Are you willing to set aside the world's definition of greatness and instead accept and embrace Jesus' definition that whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you are willing to embrace this, how is this going to show up in your life? Will we continue to measure greatness in terms of income, promotion, skill level, strength? Or will we see greatness as Jesus does, humble, dependent, trust? in our Father. What's that going to look like in your life? And secondly, if we believe and accept Jesus' teaching that unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God, how will this change the way we see the lost and how you share the gospel? Will we continue to be distracted by human glory, riches, power, beauty, strength, success, so that we don't feel the peril and the danger that unbelievers are truly in? Or will we see the lost as they truly are, helpless little children 
in desperate need of salvation. How is this going to impact the way you share your faith with others? Ponder these things this week, Hawaii Church. And as you do, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to you, to remind you that you really do have a Heavenly Father who loves you deeply and truly cares about every aspect of your life, and pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you the beauty of what true greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we do thank you that you have given to us Jesus Christ, who has shown to us, Lord, a model of what true greatness looks like in your kingdom. And we pray, God, that as we go into this week after hearing your word, that, Father, you would continue the process by your spirit to change us, to convict us, and to help us to learn and grow. Father, help us to become more like Jesus. Help us to become more dependent upon you and less dependent upon ourselves. Help us to understand what this truly means, that this is not weakness, that this is true greatness in the kingdom of heaven. We thank you. We love you. We praise you this morning, God. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.